And it's that time again, the latest episode of the In The Know podcast. Dan Helley here with you. Glad to be joined by Catherine Whitaker-Stopp, the Assistant Superintendent of Education Services for MBUSD. Um, Catherine, I am so pumped to be sitting here with you because I'm hoping that sooner or rather than later, we're getting everybody back in school. And I, I know that I have a seventh grader and a freshman. Obviously, they're not back yet. Get me up to speed um, on where we are right now and who is in school currently. Okay, I will do that. I just want to say thank you for yes, having me first. Absolutely. It's a little intimidating the in the know because that's implying that I know a lot of things. And I'm you gonna, do. I do know a lot of things. I don't know everything, but I'll share as much as I can. Um, so that's a great question. Uh, I get that question a lot from families. Uh, we opened up our preschool, our um, extended day pro daycare program, EDP. We have a high needs hybrid that supports students with special needs. So all of those groups are back and that could be students in transitional kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade. Uh, we also opened our TK through two hybrid, I wanna say in November. Um, and then next week we're opening our three through five hybrid at the elementary level. And then I don't know if you saw Dr. Matthews email that came out in his Monday message, um, but we have a plan going forward now that the numbers are dropping significantly in LA County. And we're looking at going into lower in the purple tier and then perhaps into the red tier that we're gonna be able to bring back our humanities classes at the sixth grade level um, in March. And then a, pl a plan then later in April to go into the high school. So we, we, we're so excited that the numbers are finally dropping. I don't know that we, we anticipated them going down this quickly, but we're absolutely ready in terms of PPE, in terms of plexiglass, in terms of signage on the campuses. Uh, we still need to figure out some things in terms of what parents and families want to do in, in terms of returning, um, and then help our teachers make those uh, decisions to return safely, and then we'll be good to go. I'm crossing my hand, my fingers and my toes that the, <laughs> that the timeline that he shared with all of us on Monday it, it comes to fruition. And I can say honestly that we are all, all of us know that we all want to be back. We want to be back for our kids, for our families. We want to be back. It was cool to see some of the younger kids walking to Grandview. Um, that was some of the best mornings I had walking my kids to Grandview. And I like seeing some of those, uh, uh, K through second graders, you know, walking back with their with their parents right now, and um, hopefully the middle schoolers and high schoolers can be back there soon. I, man, I saw that that high school date for the 12. kids after spring break, mm -hmm. and um, hopefully we're still we're still trending in the right direction. I know obviously we're handcuffed by some of the LA County rules, but um, that's correct. Hopefully the, we're going to be in good shape. I hope so too. Um, well, let's talk about uh, learning loss in in distance learning. Um, how different has distance learning been for the district this year, right now, as opposed to the end of last school year? What, how have we progressed? Okay, so um, instead of addressing learning loss between last spring and now, I'll just focus on the differences in the distance this learning spring, sure. for now. Um, oh my gosh, so different. If you remember, we went from a Friday to turn around and start distance learning the following week, Monday, yeah. and our teachers pivoted Oh, they were amazing. They were amazing. And so were our kids, actually. But we didn't really have an opportunity to set ourselves up for success when you think about it 
in the spring. Uh, we didn't have clear, we didn't have one platform for all families to use. So if you were a secondary student and one teacher might use this platform, another teacher might use another one. And so that I think was really hard for students and families to navigate in the spring. So that's a big difference. Um, and then over the summer, our teachers were able to participate in a lot of professional development. And since this is sponsored by MBEF, I should just say, without MBEF this summer, we wouldn't have been able to provide all of that learning for our teachers who needed to learn how do you, not just how do you use Zoom, but how do you use it to create groups in your classroom so that students can interact during that you know, two hour block that you have them. So that professional learning that happened in the summer, I think really makes, is the biggest reason why distance learning is different from last spring to, to today. We've come a long way, haven't we? We have, we've come a long way. Yeah, um, data nationwide uh, says that it's kind of problematic to generalize about learning loss and that learning appears inconsistent even within schools. It can really vary, right, from, from classroom to classroom. Do you find this to be true here for us? Absolutely. I'll use my family as an example. So I have two uh, young boys, uh, both Manhattan Beach Unified kiddos, um, very different learners, very different um, levels of engagement, de very different skill levels in all these things, right? For one of my kids, this is working. He's doing well in distance learning. He really is. For whatever reason, this has been working for him. For the other one, not so much. So if you see that even in one home, you're gonna see that in one classroom, you're gonna see that in one school district, and then of course across school districts. So we can't speak general in general terms about learning loss for everybody because that's just not fair. And I can't remember what, what you said, I, I made it about me. No, you answered the question and you used yourself as an example. So that okay. was perfect. Um, how do we measure learning loss at MBUSD? So that, that's a great question. And it's at a, at a dinner party when people are starting to talk more about the learning loss as we're, we're hopefully closing this chapter, entering into the next year, you're hearing it talked about at dinner parties, cocktail parties, right? But when you get an educator in that conversation, you'll probably hear, but wait, 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 wait. We address learning loss, if you will, all the time, every year. You have a sign on the door that says fifth grade, but when those kids come in, they're all over the place in terms of what they know and are able to do, right? And so we have to have ways to quantitatively and qualitatively over time assess what, where that kiddo is. And then we have to be very targeted in, in terms of how we address their needs. And so for us, it's, yep, we, it's not new. We do this all the time, we do it well. And one other thing is the technology has caught up to us now because teachers, we've been doing this forever, right? Your mother's a teacher. Sure. She's been doing it forever, if she was any good. I'm just she, kidding, I'm she, kidding. She was the best. She was the best. Uh, we've been doing it forever. And now the technology has help, is helping us do it more efficiently because you can take a, an application such as, uh, I'll use a secondary example, um, no red ink. Mm -hmm. where they can do a diagnostic with the kiddos. Then you have somebody who maybe is an, a grammar whiz, a writing whiz, punctuation whiz, and you have someone who's still really struggling with just basic sentence structure. It'll tell the teacher what skills those kids are able have, mm -hmm. and have and which ones they don't, and the practice is personalized. So it would have been a lot of work for a teacher to do that in the past, and they did it, but now the technology that we're using we're using it purposefully to address that. So that's one example of what we're gonna do in the fall, or continue to do, I should say, is use the technology and the platforms that we have that help us identify what the kids are 
able to do and not able to do, and then be really targeted with that. So I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah. So that's how we're handling it here. Is there going to be statewide testing to assess? Oh, that's the a really loss? good question. Okay. So that's a topic, hot topic right now. Really? Uh, yes. I, I didn't even know a, that. I what just, a great question. What <laughs> a great question. I just got a letter from the United States of America going to uh, the, the state. Uh, it wasn't really to me, but it was to the state chief of instruction saying, um, we really strongly feel that we need to have assessment and accountability in place to determine how we allocate resources. What were the what were the outcomes of this pandemic? What has happened? What we need to learn from it. So we need something like that. And so they're saying we, we don't want to have waivers for states and districts to waive these assessments because we think they're important. However, we recognize that when you are doing these assessments, perhaps remotely, that your data may not be as clean. Right? right, because you could call up those um, home environmental factors that might influence the dog barking, mom yelling at you. Uh, yeah, parent yeah. over your shoulder. Right, choose A. <laughs> I right. don't know. Um, no, I'm kidding. But we're and having to have a secure browser. And when a when a child has a question on an assessment, like what do we do? It's just there's so many hurdles, and I don't. So I, I know that they're recognizing that it might not be the clean data that we hope to make those decisions with funding, whatever. Right. Um, so but what the districts are doing or the states are considering doing is filling out a waiver to say, can we have more time and for the testing to happen so that we can bring the students back on campus and do it? We normally have a window that's tight. And if we know that the remote testing is going to be a really hard to execute and maybe a waste of time, we'd prefer to do it in person. And if we're going to do it in person, we need more time. So there's that. And we're also considering, they're considering asking the United States to tell us um, to not hold us accountable for whatever that data shows. So we, we get dinged sometimes on our state dashboard mm -hmm. if we don't have a 95% of our student population taking the assessment, particularly our, our special education population. If we don't have that, we don't reach that 95% threshold, we get dinged on, our, on the dashboard. Right. And they're saying, we're saying, please don't do that to us. Please don't ding us. And so there are little things like that they're requesting. Um, but right now, if you ask me today, we're moving forward as if we're having testing for students in grades three, four, and five in ELA and math, six through eight, ELA and math, and grade 11, ELA and math. And we may be doing the California state science test, but the state is hoping that we can get a waiver to eliminate that this year. But we're, we're moving forward as if it's gonna happen. Stay tuned. That's that's. Well, let, let's spin this ahead a little bit. Um, you know, even if it is minimal, there is going to be some learning loss expected for the next school year. What what are the plans for for dealing with that and supporting students academically next year? Okay, so I said that we're going to continue to do some of the things that we always do, right? right. As good teachers. Um, additionally, we already started this year looking at the students who were kind of falling off or trailing off, and we've used some of the federal funds to um, get additional tutoring support, for example. We use a company, we have a partnership with a company called Air Tutors, and just my favorite. We've been with in, in a relationship with them now for four years, and they were initially helping our English learners um, on a platform. So they meet virtually, which is interesting because now here we are. Second, uh, English sec is a second, second language, language correct. Okay. Um, we even had a student who uh, was deaf and who only signed in Vietnamese sign language, and Air Tutors was able to find 
someone to, to tutor this person in Vietnamese wow. sign language. It's amazing. But anyways, we've, we've seen the power of their, what their platform is and the relationships that they have with the students that they tutor. And we've been expanding that. And when we got this federal, um, this gift from the government, we said, okay, boom, we're going to expand this for our students. So this year we had going into finals, we had boosted our students, not just the ELs, Anybody who needed additional support, we use that funding to give them tutoring for free. So we're already trying to use the money that we're getting to, to target those kids who are showing that they need additional support. Um, some people have asked about um, what could be different in the summer. We're not yet sure what the funding is going to mm -hmm. look like. Um, but in the fall, I know the counselors and the teachers are going to be building um, plans, right? What we know we don't want to do, research tells us, is just load more work onto our kids after school and in the summer right. it totally demotivates them so we want what we want to do is it's not it's not more right it's um intentional targeted i think is what we need to do and we need to focus on the foundational skills in any subject and say okay we're not if we're not going to get through all of this and the next course that they're in this fall what are those foundational skills that this kiddo is missing that, that need to be in place in order for them to do advanced to mathematics. Build, right. right. So we might, and I'll give you another example. Holly Compton is our math TOSA that is also funded by MBEF. What she's done is she's taken from the California standards in an organization called Achieve the Core. They have said, okay, during this pandemic, if you're an algebra one, if you can't get through the whole thing, right? I mean, how many times did you not get through an entire book in a class? It happens, right? Sure. I shouldn't say that, but Probably yes. regularly for me. Okay. Probably not for you, but for me it did. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, um, it, it, and then because of this, the way this is working out with the scheduling, you, you maybe it's taking longer time to get through content. And mm -hmm. so did the teachers feel pressure to get through it? And what Achieve the Core is saying is, no, no, no. You need to, you need to re look at this differently. You need to say, what are the focus skills? What do we need the kids to know? Those foundational things. What can you let go of and make sure the kids have that? So then Holly Compton is meeting with sixth, seventh, and eighth grade and saying, okay, let's look at the illustrative mathematics that you're using. Where are these skills? What are we going to let go of and where are we going to focus so that we're giving our kids the strongest foundation we can moving forward? So that's a lot of work that is going to continue to happen in the fall to make sure that we're not just giving students more, making them do more, but we're actually giving them, we're doing it strategically. And, and, and is, that, is that helpful? Yeah. I No, I totally get that. And I think you're absolutely right about more, more, more isn't always uh, the right thing, you know, especially when it comes to um, you know, the emotional stability of our kids at home. And, um, you know, I'm lucky my, my kids, I have two, like I said, a seventh grade boy and a ninth grade daughter, and they're both doing well academically, but I always wonder how they're doing emotionally. And, um, I hope they're ready to come back to school, but I think like a lot of families, they've kind of, they've adjusted, right? And they have their little routine. And so it might be a little bit of a shock to the system to actually, have to get up a little earlier and get in a car and go to school when that happens. And I, there will be some kids, maybe mine are some of them that need a little emotional support, you know, when they're, when they're back in school, how, how do you get that social emotional um, support for them next year or whenever, hopefully this year, whenever they're in school again? So there are two things there. I think the one thing you touched on that I can't 
uh, stop thinking about is that, that we may have students who now at this time of the year are saying, I'm actually in a groove and I'm okay. And to change it might be disruptive. That resonates with me. Um, but as far as the social emotional piece, our counselors, uh, particularly at the high school, have really stepped it up right now um, in terms of figuring out what other supports we can put in place for, the, for them now and in the fall. So I'm really relying on Jessica Bledsoe and the high school team and um, Lisa Tanita and the counseling team at MBMS to, to develop that plan for, to support kids when they come back. Big we, fan of Miss Tanita, by the way, big fan. <laughs> She's the best. Um, because they know, they know their kids, they're each assigned to grade levels. They have their cases, right, that they do. And they know these kids by name and they, in many cases, it's case by case. They'll they'll put together things um, certainly that can support larger groups of, of kids as they see those needs, and then they'll put together those personalized plans when they need to. But it's always been a focus for us in Manhattan Beach: social emotional wellness. Our mm -hmm. partnership with Beach Cities and South Bay Families Connected and and MBEF in in this vein has been, I mean, it's amazing. Even during this pandemic what Beach Cities and South Bay's families are, are providing in terms of socio-emotional supports and things like that. Um, so we'll keep pushing in that area. And then hopefully, I think the best place to find out what we need to do is from the kids. Yeah. So we will ask our students um, what they need and we will see if they can help. You know, we can have those older kids help the younger kids and and they're the ones who know what what's gonna help them most. Sometimes so. we just need to listen. We you need know, to you don't, you don't learn when you talk. You learn when you listen. And sometimes I think we just need to, to listen to the kids. I, nobody wants the kids back in school more than you do and I do. And I know that's what we're hoping for as soon as possible. However, this last year of craziness and online distance learning has some silver linings to it in, in a way, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. what, what, what are some of them that you've seen? Well... When I'm at home and working in in-between meetings, I get laundry folded <laughs> and I can start my Instapot. <laughs> I still need to get an Instapot. I've been talking to my wife about that forever. Um, I, that's, I'm kidding. Um, there have been so many silver linings. I'll, go, I'll start with heavy, okay? Mm -hmm. I met with a family yesterday who said that their son in February had a traumatic experience and being home with their son for this whole time has been a gift. So that's, that's a heavy to me, um, sure. but wonderful. I've also had families say, um, and this isn't related to education, but it's related to humanity, right? Um, that they've, sorry, my. <laughs> You're buzzing, you are so I am, wanted I right am now. It's Nancy Doyle. <laughs> calling me right now. That's an important one. We're um, almost we have, done. Uh, life continued to happen and people were sick and people, I mean, there were just things that happened and for families to be able to just have more time together, I think that that is one of the silver linings. Um, what are some of the other things? Uh, we mentioned executive functioning, I think, um, in grades probably four and up. I think we, it was a real challenge for some, but then it was a skill that we were able to develop over time with our kids. So that is something I think that our kids have learned. I think our teachers have developed their skill set for sure. And a lot of the things that they do that are effective will continue for years and years to come. Another one that's just kind of like a logistical thing was we've been trying to get on one platform in Manhattan Beach for forever. And now we are using Google Classroom. And so I think that that's a good outcome. And if it doesn't end up being 
if it doesn't end up being Google Classroom forever, I think we all understand that having the one <laughs> is really helpful for our families and our teachers and especially our students. So those are a lot of, I think, I'm, I'm probably missing some, but I'm kind of a, I'm an optimist. We've all learned a lot in this experience. Our children are resilient. I think we have an opportunity and a responsibility as adults to show them how we deal and how we're flexible when things don't go our way. And, and, and that is, um, that's something I'll continue to do in my role here. And um, I know that I'm in the best community for, um, for, an as, for an educator, I'm in the best place. So I thank you for your time. Well, thank you. And, and it is an amazing place. And I think it is important because we're always kind of griping, at least in our house, like when are the kids going to go back? When are they going to go back? So it's important to look at some of the, the positive yeah. uh, educational um, experiences that we're able to pull from this and maybe make them applicable to, to learning down the road once they are back in the classrooms. And, and there, there have been some silver linings. Absolutely. Catherine, thank you. Thank you. Thank Gosh, you. that was so good. That was quick. That was concise. That was poignant. You're only saying that because I said I was so nervous. No, I feel like you're the broadcaster here. <laughs> I, I mean, you've made this easy for me. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you, sir.